never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that knows when playing a barbarian, it is absolutely vital that you get the boot, boots of haste. That way, you can be both fast and furious. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. What's up, man? Uh, not too much. You? <laughs> um, I am I'm fantastic. This has yeah. been... This is. We had some really amazing like premieres to talk about, and... Mm. Sunday cannot come fast enough if you get my drift. Um, <laughs> I'm literally like, is it Sunday yet? Seriously. Um, so let's jump right in because we're going to want to talk a bunch. So what are we watching? What are we reading? What do we got? Yeah, so I'm pretty sure everything I've watched is exactly the same as you. So I don't have too much to say. Uh, the one cool thing I did IRL this week is uh, over the weekend, I went to uh, Smallville Comic Con, which uh, takes place in Plano, Illinois, where the uh, the Smallville portions of Man of Steel were filmed. Uh, this is basically just a super small Comic Con that I went to this weekend. And when I say super small, I'm talking like the vendor area slash artist alley was like within this uh mexican restaurant in town and there was probably six to eight booths <laughs> like it was super tiny but uh it was definitely a cool event to go to um just you know i brought the kid there and it was just kind of fun because they had the costume contest and there's people dressed up and stuff like that and it was just kind of a what's that what you dress the kid up as <laughs> you know that's the thing is i should have uh, we just kind of went and we were hobnobbing around and uh, uh, my son was fine with it until his cousin showed up um, who was dressed as Captain America. And then immediately it was Dada, I want to dress up. And I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm just supposed to pull a costume like out of my yeah. backpack or something. Yeah, sure. <laughs> like, so next next year, we're definitely my goal next year is to either have a booth there. And I don't know if that would be like our podcast has a booth or if I'll just have like an artist booth. Sure. Or if I don't have that, I'm definitely going to cosplay. But it was really a super small free Comic Con. But it was kind of fun to go to because I haven't been to a con in a while. And uh, it was cool to get into that spirit again. Um, it was also there was a couple there's a couple artists and there was like an indie uh, there's a guy selling his indie comics there and like uh, a uh, local author and stuff. And I bought books from both of those people. So it was just kind of cool. Got some new reading material. I haven't read any of that yet, but I might give a review on the show, but it was just uh, it was just a fun, little, fun little thing. So if you're nice. in that area, check it out next year, I guess. <laughs> um, I will. And it was funny because I was told about it like, the night before yeah <laughs> so i was like oh hey i might have maybe gone to that um <laughs> so yeah hopefully uh get more of a heads up notice next year 
Um, <laughs> so since you and I probably watched the same things, there's two items, She-Hulk and House of the Dragon, which we'll talk about in a little bit because I know you watched those. Yeah. Um, I watched a couple extra stuff so I can burn through this kind of quickly. Um, first off, um, I did a little bit of reading. Um, because Marvel announced their uh, Phase 5 to Phase 6 announcements leading up to the event of Secret Wars, which we all hoped that was what way they were headed, um, I reread the original Secret Wars from the 80s. Oh, sweet. Such a great read. Love it. Fantastic. So much such a, so much exciting as it was. My The part that I found really funny, just because of where we're going, because we know Kang the Conqueror is going to be one of the big bads coming up, or maybe he is the big bad, is in the original Secret Wars, Doom kills Kang, and it's not even a big story moment. Doom's just like, <laughs> you're annoying, and kills him. Um, nice. So I found that kind of funny. However, in the, in the ultra grand scheme of things, because we're ramping up to Secret Wars, I decided to reread the newer Secret Wars. Okay. And I forgot how boring it was. <laughs> and I know there's probably people out there that enjoy it, but I was literally like, you spend so many episodes, so many episodes, so many issues going, when is something actually going to happen? And it made me realize how much I'm not a big fan of Dr. Doom and not that he's not a bad villain. It's just, I find him to be a bit of a boring villain and I don't really understand his motivations. And maybe it's because I haven't read enough. I don't know. I was really kind of baffled by it. I was like, I don't know if I really like this guy as a villain. So we'll see. But <laughs> Just as it's a funny because just as a revisit, well, I was just like reading the new Secret Wars, going, "This is boring compared to the original." <laughs> right, and so. it's, it's funny because um, when you were talking about the original Secret Wars and how uh, Doom kills Kang, I was thinking a little bit like, "Well, I hope that happens in the movie because I like Doom so much more than Kang." But uh, I don't know, maybe I have to rethink you know, my. Uh, <laughs> I like, like Dr. Doom, to be honest. <laughs> growing up, growing up, Doom was great. I loved Dr. Doom. Yeah. Okay? One of those classic villains. He was like, the, he was one of the action figures you had to have. He was always the bad guy that you were fighting when it came to the toys and, you know, just the idea of comic books. But classic Doom, I loved. But like when I was reading, just like I said, I was just rereading this newer version of Secret Wars, which I have a feeling is going to be a little, um, which is going to be relevant now because you have two different versions of the story and they're probably going to try and find an amalgamation of doing it justice to both of them mm. but i was like found myself just bored rereading it and i'm like wow i don't yeah. want being this boring but hey um <laughs> so i think and i don't know if that's indicative because i know i haven't read the newest uh version of secret wars but i know it is like pretty recent and like i mean i feel like it's you know, not within the last five or six years, but it's definitely like a pretty recent arc, especially compared to the old one. And I don't know if it's if this is a thing that's indicative of how comics are written now or comic books are written more for the, you know, written for the trade, you know, written for that trade paperback sure. where there might be a lot more issues that are just straight plot building. And then sure. it is building up to a big payoff, but it's not like the old comic issues was like every issue had to have like a bombastic fight scene and well, some crazy climax and stuff, you know, every issue had to have standard rising fall writing. Action. Yes. Have your rising mm -hmm. action to your climax and your uh, uh, rescinding action to your, you know, finale. So every comic had to follow those literary rules where now it's a little different. 
Um, so maybe that's what it is. I just, there was a lot of parts that I'm like, can something happen, please? Because been, <laughs> it's been way too much exhibition. And this is just yeah. like, I'm, I'm just thinking of so many criticisms I've heard of just modern superhero comics in general. And it just seems to fall in line with that, where there's just way too much of heroes talking to each other instead of duking it out with villains and way too many scenes taking place in coffee shops and stuff like that. So that's just all that's making me think of. So. Oh, you said, that's funny that you say that because that's a lot of the criticism of the star Wars novels. There's too many, right, right. Talk, too many characters talking in coffee shops and not enough lightsabers and gunfights. Yeah. So, and, and it kind of sucks because I like, I'm part of the millennial generation and uh, I think I do identify as a millennial pretty well, but I can of, recognize that. What's that? Go to a lot of coffee shops. Well, no, I, I was going to say, I can recognize that a lot of people my age are these hipster kids who ended up getting big writing gigs and uh, they wrote about their life, you know, and that's why we're reading <laughs> Star Wars books and superhero I'm books about, shop. yep. About hipsters going to coffee shops and hobnobbing <laughs> Yeah. So I will I will recognize that is a pitfall of my generation. And I am sorry to you all for that. <laughs> as, as we alienate the entire hipster audience. Um, oh, no, I mean, I'm a bit of a hipster myself, but I mean, I like more dynamic stories than that is all I'm saying. <laughs> sure. Well, I also started uh, A League of Their Own, the, the series on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Um. Which, so far, it's off to a good start. I literally like what I'm watching. Um, my only criticism right now is that it's they're doing the slow burn thing. And I want... it's Look, it's a television series, so it's not going to have the pacing of the film. But I want the pacing to be picked up a little bit more. You just uh, want it to be more like the 80s Secret Wars comics. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Where... No, where Doom kills Kang and then they get a home yeah. run. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, no. What I'm saying is, is that the pacing of the movie is different because it's two hours, and you got to get everything in. This show, the exposition scenes, I don't mind being slower paced because you're doing character building for a television show. Yeah. But the game scenes, I don't think are paced well in terms of. I'm not excited watching the game scenes in the show where those were some of the best parts of the movie. So, you know, that's where a lot of the excitement was. And I think that's just kind of where I'm at with it. I'm like, I like what I'm watching. I'm going to finish this season, but um, that's, I just, I mean, it's cool. I just want the pacing to be better. Like I'm not in this for the slow burn. So uh, but again, again the, the hipsters got to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is, I'm glad you're the one making the jokes because you claim to be the hipster. Um, <laughs> There's a lot of really cool homages within the first episode to the film. And when I say homages, we're talking like recreated camera shots. Yeah. Uh, where you're just like, that's that's from the film. That's from the film. You know, what I mean, you're seeing these moments and you're like, oh, that's right from the movie. Um, and it might be just to touch on the fact that that was a thing. But, but yeah, overall, that was cool. Um, I watched the movie Prey. Um, oh, nice. How was the, it? The new Predator. You haven't watched it yet? I haven't watched it yet. It is really fun. Um, here's the thing. It's a predator movie. So go in with the expectations of it's a predator movie. You're not getting something else. This is predator as predator. Like it's, it's great. So if you know the predator, you know, that franchise, you know how those movies play out. That's what you're getting. Um, but he's fighting Indians, um, 1730 
two maybe i'm probably oh, wrong wow. here but it's like during like indians like native american indians yeah um and like i believe the explorers because there's also some explorers like the french for they're either french fur traders or they're like the columbus like type explorers that are hunting so it's a mix of like the indians finding out that there's this thing out in the woods some of them think it's a bear the girl knows it's the alien she doesn't know yeah. how to explain it because she's like there's a thing out there like it's a bear she's like it's not a bear <laughs> um so they're like tracking the predator and then in the midst of that they're running the hunters i'm not trying to spoil the movie because it's a predator movie you kind of know where this is going um <laughs> but they are hunting bears and they don't know about the predator so then all hell breaks loose and it's it's great um and you know i have a dog but I would love to have a dog like that girl has in the movie Predator. That dog was awesome. Um, nice. <laughs> and pray, sorry. But yeah, I, I'm. Oh, keep going. Watch it. It's great. It it's a hour and forty minutes. It whips by. It's it goes yeah. so quick because it's just exciting and awesome. So I uh, I'm super excited to watch this. I just haven't had the chance to yet. But uh, it is like one of those things where I I think it looks awesome from everything I've seen. And I've heard really mixed reviews. And it's been really interesting because there's people I follow online who I expected to not like it, who say that it's awesome. And then vice versa, there's people who I expected to love it, who say it's not that good. And it just seems to be divisive in a way that I don't think I expected, which I think is good because it's probably a nuanced thing you know you know what i mean it's probably a yeah. interesting movie in that regard so yeah yeah well let's yeah so watch pray i loved it um uh let's talk about she hulk shall we yes um your initial thoughts what do you think so i have uh <laughs> no i don't know I, how to, I don't know how to take the pause but all right because <laughs> i'm thinking of how i want to say this because i i have two complaints and it's not really the complaints I've seen online from other people. But okay. overall, I was pleasantly surprised with the show. I think it was pretty good. It was a lot better than I thought. And it was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm going to be watching the next episode. It wasn't a show that I felt it didn't feel like it dragged on. It just seemed like it was a pretty fun little watch. My only complaints are one is the big thing, which I'm going to go ahead and spoil the end of the show. Unless, Drew, you want me to wait. But uh, at the the very end of the first episode, um, you have uh, She-Hulk, which uh, I'm a horrible fan because I don't remember her alter ego's name. But she's in court and uh, she's Jennifer Walters. There you go. Jennifer Walters. Um, She is uh, she's a lawyer, so she's representing a case in court. And in the middle of that scene, a uh, supervillain breaks through the wall and is wreaking havoc in the middle of this uh, courtroom. And that was cool. And that was a cool excuse to make her uh, Jennifer turn into the She-Hulk in front of everybody. Like, I get that. But I'm really confused as to what that villain was doing, like why she was wreaking havoc in the middle of a courtroom. Like, I I didn't understand the motivation there. (laughs) And I don't know if this I don't know if there's a question that's going to be answered or not. So that's why I'm really curious. I have a hundred percent agreeance with you on that. (laughs) Okay. Because. I didn't understand it. I also don't know who the villain was. Um, yeah, same that here. was that was old school, really old school comic book writing. Eh, a villain breaks in the courthouse. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, and I, and I do think it's I do think it's endearing for that, but I also feel like we're in a day and age where you're going to need to justify that somehow, and I just didn't <laughs> understand that part. Um, my only other complaint with the show, which I feel like this might be an unpopular opinion, but I was really not impressed with uh, Mark Ruffalo's performance in the show. Like, I felt like his uh, voice acting and stuff throughout the show was very, uh, it felt really monotone. Like, to me, it kind of felt like he was phoning it in a little bit. And that was kind of my biggest thing, especially with how many lines of dialogue he had. I just felt like his performance was kind of boring a little bit. And I kind of wished, uh, I don't know, like he accentuated his performance a little bit more, if that makes sense. So, well, my real issue with the show is I still don't think the CG looks the way it could. That's true. Uh, That's a good point. Otherwise, ultimately I enjoyed the show. I kind of see what you're talking about with Ruffalo. Um, but the you know with Ruffalo being there, it was a really good set the stage for the character because we we might not get to see normal Hulk, you know we might not get to see Ruffalo Hulk for a while. I mean he that could be his only right. episode in the series. We don't know. I was thinking the same um, thing. He uh, that ship appeared um, from Sakar and he's like, well I got to go deal with that. So we're like, ooh what's that about? Yeah what exactly. Movie? We find out what that's going on, and then they answered the big Shang Chi question. Um, in this uh, series, if you didn't catch that, because in Shang-Chi, the bonus scene, Ruffalo's not the Hulk. Mm-hmm. And that was the big question, how'd that happen? And then in the dialogue, he talks about the thing on his arm that helped him, you know, figure that out. So you're just like, oh, sweet. OK, they answered the, the Shang-Chi question. Yeah, uh, which was definitely a nice touch. So. Right. So also, there, there was a lot of cool, cool moments in the show. I mean, it's a look, She-Hulk is going to be. <coughs> comedy it's designed to be shot like they're shooting it like a sitcom so treat it that way but marvel is always trying to do different things where like ant-man was the heist film and captain america winter soldier was your espionage film and then you have your big team film with avengers you know what i mean Mm -hmm. this is your and then wandavision was meant to be a story of grief told through a specific lens you know what i mean and you have loki's your time travel story and this is going to be your sitcom so look through it like that lens you know um, like I said, I enjoyed the show and I'm going to be there and I laughed and it was funny and it was kind of like the breath of fresh air that I wanted right now for Marvel, to be completely honest. Um, just cause I'm still a little Thor from that movie. And, um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll give, I'm going to give that movie another rewatch because that's going to land on Disney because Thor 11 Thunder will be on Disney plus, uh, September 8th. So, um, you know, we'll, I'll definitely be giving that another watch, and it'll be seen through another uh, viewing of my own opinion. So I might like the movie better. Kind of like when I went and rewatched Thor Dark Dark World, I ended up liking it much more. Um, but yeah, She-Hulk was, She-Hulk was good, and I really enjoyed it overall. So yeah, but, yeah, yeah, I think the CG needs to be cleaned up, and I'm with you. But that's the thing. Like, if a villain's just going to randomly show up and attack a courthouse, eh, that's <laughs> that's what happens in comic books sometimes. See, you know? And I, I didn't hate that part. I just, like, didn't get it. I was just like, wait, why is this happening? And is this just an excuse to further the plot? Um, I'm hoping there's more to it. It would actually be kind of cool if, like, you watch the series and then something happens at the end that ties it all together. Like, they could yeah. do something really interesting with that. So um, I'm still could. holding out hope. Yeah. Um, otherwise, um, let's talk about House of the Dragon. We are yes. back in Westeros. Um, I have said many times that Game of Thrones is a universe that I want more of, and I did not realize how much I wanted more of it until the episode of this show dropped. 
Like I said, we are back in Westeros, and it was so nice to be back. What were your original thoughts? (laughs) Right on. So um, this was interesting. I thought this was... I thought this show was really good. Um, I'm pretty hooked on it. I will say, with that being said, I did think it was a little hard to get into at first. Like, I do think it took a little bit to get going. And I think you could probably say that about the original pilot for Game of Thrones. But sure. I think I think when you watch um, the first episode of Game of Thrones, there's a lot going on with a lot of different characters. And you're kind of seeing these really flawed characters just like thrust in your face and you just kind of have to go with it. And I think you don't know who anybody is and you're trying to piece together things. (laughs) Yeah. But then they're just like, they're literally like rubbing these character flaws in your face and just like forcing you to dive into it. When you think of how they introduce like a lot of different characters in that first episode. And I think this episode didn't have that right away. Like, I don't know if it has that same level of, um, I think, I think it will, but I think at this point I'm not, uh, as aware of how every character kind of sucks and has their dark side and stuff as much. (laughs) Like obviously Matt Smith's character does. And at this point he's probably my favorite character because he seems like he does seem like he's a bad person, but he does have those endearing qualities and he's, Like, I left the episode rooting for him, which is kind of crazy with how brutal his character was and the stuff that he does in the episode. For some reason, I was still rooting for him by the end of the episode, which I think was awesome. But that's really my main criticism is just it took a little bit for me to get into it. But by the time we reached the end, I was really excited for the next episode, I guess. That's a super vague review, but that's kind of what I'm left with. And I could nitpick other little things like I think. At certain moments, like the CGI on the dragons looked better than other moments and stuff. But that's that's neither here or there. It's really the feel of the episode that I really enjoyed. I just it took me a bit to get into it. So, Drew, I don't know what your thoughts. And I'm sure as you start talking about specifics, I'm going to think of more commentary on the thing as a whole. (laughs) That makes sense. So first off, the opening of the show. All right. The opening of the show. Um. You have that diet. They have that monologue that's giving you like, you know, at this period in time, blah, blah, blah. This happened, that kind of thing. And you're listening to that monologue at the beginning and they mention Harrenhal and you realize that you're looking at the throne room in Harrenhal. Yeah. Now, in terms of Game of Thrones lore, Harrenhal was a castle built to defend it against dragons. Like it was meant to have like, you know. Because they have dragons, we need to build a castle that's able to defend against dragons. But everyone forgets that dragons can fly. So, um the castle was eventually laid to siege, uh, completely destroyed and wiped out. Um, and it's basically left to ruin. So when you see Hall in season two of Game of Thrones proper, um, it's a completely decimated castle. That's the season where Arya is like undercover in the Lannisters camp. And she's basically not telling anyone she's Arya Stark and she's like Tywin's mm-hmm. serving girl. Um, that's the Hall Castle. So seeing Hall like complete in its prime makes me think, ooh, we could be seeing the Siege of Hall in this show. That <laughs> Good <would be> call. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, then we jump into learning who these characters are, and you're meeting the kings and queens and who all the nobles are, and you're hearing names that are recognized. You hear Targaryen names you recognize that people talk yeah. about in the other show, but they were already long gone and dead. You hear names of dragons that have been long talked about and dead. Um 
you see the skull of Balon, um, the uh, uh, Rhaegar, um, sorry, um, Aegon Targaryen's dragon that he, uh, the, the skull is mounted underneath uh, the Red Keep. Um, seeing King's Landing and all of its glory back then at that point in time, um, that was so cool. Um, let's see. Uh, man, I'm kind of drawing a little blank on my thoughts here. Um, <laughs> the big thing was the jousting and the C-section. Um, right, I right. Loved the, and I loved the juxtaposition. Now, I got, I, did it, too. I got it right away. And I know that if you watched the after show bit, they talked about the juxtaposition. But that was just so cool to have that line early on when uh, she says that a woman's a battle, a woman's battlefield is the birthing table. And then they have this problem. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is nuts. This is crazy juxtaposition of the tournament and her and the birthing table. And then you're like, oh, my God, we're going to see a medieval C-section. <laughs> yeah. Now, I don't have a problem necessarily with it, but that one that was rough because you're just like it's a medieval C-section. Um, and I know a C-section is kind of archaic when you think about the concept of cutting the baby out. But holy cow, seeing it in that environment was just a little different. Um, and it was such a crazy scene. You could tell he loves it. You could tell he loves his wife, but he also um, like he's trying to make the best decision yeah. for the lives at stake. And he loses both anyway, and it puts him in the precarious situation where he's got to like name his daughter his heir to the throne, which is gonna that's what's gonna create that civil war. Yeah, um, exactly. I'm spoiling the crap out of this. So if you didn't watch <laughs> Game of Thrones, sorry. Um, if you didn't watch House of the Dragon, sorry. Um, the so the oh, keep going. Um, let's see, where was I? I was, I was uh, gonna say the the C section bit. I actually think they could have. And this is maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment because I think that I think that whole sequence, like the jousting, yes, that was super bloody and gory, but the C section I think was on another level just because of the subject matter. But I think we needed something really brutal because people need to be reminded this is Game of Thrones. And like, yes, there was a, a couple, you know, gratuitous uh sex scenes in this first episode and stuff, but I think that really brutal um, C-section, especially because of the subject matter. Um, I think that was kind of like needed as much of a, like as sadistic as that sounds. <laughs> but um, I do think I, I also kind of felt like they could have played that up. Like, I feel like it was a brutal scene, but I feel like they could have made you squirm even more when you're watching it. And that's where I'm like, I don't know if I'm just a glutton for punishment where Maybe. I just want the show to push me to the limits because that's my thing is like, I know the original game of Thrones series and the emotions and the moments that it made me cringe and uh, really what it made me feel. And I'm not getting that to the same degree with this show yet, yes. but it's also, <laughs> this is the first episode. So you can't, judge it too harshly because we've only had what like an hour and 10 minutes or so of the series so far so i mean i can't judge it too harshly but this is just kind of some of my initial thoughts that's, you know? a, that's a weird harsh judgment because this is the first episode and we can only imagine it's going to get more brutal we're about to see a civil war between a family so you know what i mean like as this as it breaks and there's supposed to be 17 dragons in total um and we've only seen two um yeah you know uh the the one thing I want to point out, because you're hearing family names that you recognize, we saw some sigils we recognize, like the like 
the house sigil for House Baratheon. You hear the Stark name dropped and that kind of thing. And you're like, well, yeah, because these are family names that exist within Westeros. So, um, but the one that I feel was a little bit of an outlier that a lot of people don't recognize, and they, but they actually do, is Hightower. Um, so in terms of Game of Thrones lore, the Hand of the King, his uh, family name is Hightower. And they are from Old Town, which is where Sam went to study at the Citadel to become a maester. Um, okay. Hightower referring to the, high, the, the tower of the Citadel um, um, in Old Town. So just in terms of that, at some point, that family was no longer a part of the hierarchy. So how did that play? You know what I mean? Like that's yeah, that's stuff that I'm really curious about and seeing just seeing it be the way it is, you know. Um, but look, we're back in Westeros. It's so good to be back. I cannot wait. And I've been thinking about it all week. I'm like, can it just be Sunday so I can watch the next episode? Like, <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but I literally was like, can we just get more dragons? Let's go. So that's that's what I think. Um, I guess I probably sounded harsh, but I was trying to praise the show because when the show started, like it did take me probably like 20 minutes into the show to start getting into the story. But by the time the show ended, I just couldn't wait for the next episode. So I think that is like I was trying to praise the strengths of the show, even though I thought it it took a bit to get going. But by the end, it was just like, I got to see what happens next. I think they did a really a really cool way of building like a subtle, but really meaningful sort of, uh, inciting incident, uh, incident with, uh, who got named the, uh, yeah. the queen and everything. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, that's all I got on game of Thrones right now. I think we're going to have a lot to discuss as we go. Um, because that's going to be like, I, as much as I don't need, we don't need to do a review of every episode of every show because we're going to be show flooded here in a little bit. Um, this is the show that I'm probably going to be like, let's talk about it because that's, that was one of my favorite parts about the week to week stuff with game of Thrones was getting to work and being like, did you watch last night? We need to talk, you know? Yeah. Um, I have, I have a feeling. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. I do have a feeling that this is going to be the show that, uh, I don't know. Like, I guess knowing you and me both through, I feel like this is going to be the show that's going to keep us the most excited. Like I know, Rings of Powers coming out and stuff, but this is the show that uh, I'm really excited about right now, and I think that's going <laughs> to yeah. continue for a while. So. Yeah, and I'm only laughing because you're like Rings of Power, and you're just like, oh yeah, that show's coming. But actually, yeah, uh, there's a there's a trailer, there's a final trailer that did drop. Now I've seen enough of the trailers that I'm like, I don't need to see another Rings of Power up trailer. You got me sold. I don't want any more spoilers. But I did watch um the last trailer that just dropped and it's it's definitely got me more excited it really does um i just hope it holds up but it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be strange we're gonna be on fantasy overload and i think in a little bit here because we got house of the dragon on now we're gonna have rings of power and then willow in november yeah so i don't want to say we're on fantasy overload but it's gonna be like all right here we go next fantasy show let's do this so (laughs) absolutely yeah anyway um, let's talk about the news. Um, we don't have a lot actually, so, um, we'll go through some quick hits. Um, first off, Maverick, Top Gun Maverick has surpassed yes. Avengers Infinity War at the U.S. box office. <laughs> so this is a domestic box office, not global, but it's awesome. Like, let's just keep getting that guy up there. Um, Absolutely. 
I would love I would love at the end of this for that to be the number one box office movie. Like like I'd love it to like dominate over Avatar. I really would. But Avatar is going back in the theaters for a couple weeks, so to earn more money. So uh, was it was it Infinity War that it beat? Yeah, Infinity War. Okay. I, I guess I guess I heard wrong. Somebody told me earlier it was Endgame, oh, but it, um, yeah, it's Infinity War right now. So. And did Infinity War have multiple releases? That's what I'm trying to remember. Cause no, that's the thing. That's why I said that's why I was like back when Avengers was getting those was breaking those records. I was like, because Avatar had multiple releases, and that's why it's on top. Mm-hmm. Where Avengers, I felt, was the better success story because. They built to it, and then it had one release, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's that's what's impressive about Top Gun, though, is it's just still on its original run and still going strong. Like, what is it? Two months going on three months after its release? Yeah. I can't remember movies, when movies exactly. Are not, <laughs> movies are not usually in theaters that long. Yeah. Um, but and if you awesome. are, but if you have whatever, if you have Paramount, you should have access to it right now. Um, because it is available for digital release already. Um, I pre-ordered my Blu-ray because I want a hard copy of this. Um, so that releases in November. So yeah, That's but I was awesome. like, sweet, we got a date stuff. Cool. I need my home copy. Um, absolutely. Right. Um, oh, well, I was going to ask, speaking of Avatar, and I don't know if this is, is cutting into anything, but I thought I saw that they're going to have another theatrical release for it. Is that accurate? That is. They're actually, um, okay. if, you, if you haven't noticed, um, it has been pulled off of Disney Plus currently, um, and it is going to be off of Disney Plus temporarily. They are putting it back in theaters to get everyone excited about Avatar 2 this Christmas. And um, so it's going back in the theaters for a couple of weeks to get everyone back uh, excited for Avatar again. And then it'll be back on Disney Plus just in case you don't go to the theater. You have a chance to watch it <laughs> on your Disney Plus before you go to the theater. Um, I some, think... of us, some of us, like myself, did buy the Blu-ray because I liked <laughs> Overall, I like that movie, so I don't need to see it on Disney Plus if I just throw in my Blu-ray. But Yeah. Um, I just I just feel like James Cameron's afraid of losing the top spot, and he's starting to see, like, your end games and your top guns and stuff starting to come up behind him, and he's like, gotta keep releasing the film to keep the top spot, and it's kind of yeah. weird and annoying, but I mean, I, I liked the movie overall, too, so I don't want to disparage it too much. It's just a weird and interesting thing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, but my concern about Avatar is, do you remember when I got, remember my Thor review when I was complaining about the level of CGI? Yes. And I've been, and I watched Top Gun and how real that was because it was real. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if I'm going to, if it's going to, if the CG, the level of CG we're going to see with the new Avatar movie is going to feel lackluster because it's not going to be real enough. That has something that has been in the back of my mind the whole time. Am I going to walk out going, overall it was good, but I'd rather watch something like Top Gun because of the, pr- the, the practical effect aspect of it, you know? Um, it just, it makes me curious. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe I'm. Maybe it's a little CGI fatigue. I don't know. Um, all right. Let's talk about Disney real quick. Um, King Kong Disney Plus series from James Wan is coming to Disney Plus. Um, I didn't see that one coming. I just had to bring that up and say, hey, we're getting a King Kong Disney, <laughs> King Kong Disney Plus show. Um, so 
since it's from James Wan, that has me more interested than yeah. if it was not. So, yeah, I know. I agree. Um, and then also from Disney, uh, September 8th is Disney Plus Day. Um, that is the anniversary of Disney Plus premiering. So they have um, Disney Plus Day. Here's some stuff that I'm bringing I'll talk about. So first off, uh, Thor Love and Thunder will premiere on Disney Plus on September 8th, Disney Plus Day, including the Thor Love and Thunder Assembled. I don't know if you've been watching the Assembled uh, program at Disney Plus, but it's great. It's basically the making of whatever it is. So Black Widow came out. They did the Black Widow Assembled. Doctor Strange came out. They did the Doctor Strange Assembled. Eternals came out. They did, you know what I mean? As it drops, they do the episode to show you how they did everything. Um, those are really great. Um, Cars on the Road, the Cars animated series, will be hitting Disney Plus that day. Um, if you're a big Frozen person, the two Frozen movies, the sing-along versions will be hitting there. Um, <laughs> the next episode. Forgot about that. The next episode is that the current episode of She-Hulk on September 8th, which will be She-Hulk episode four, will be that day. Um, there is an and there's a documentary um, that I'm really excited to watch called Obi Wan: uh, A Jedi's Return. I don't know if this is full on making or if it's like a two hour documentary or if it's like the Disney Gallery version of Obi Wan. I don't know. Uh, there is a trailer for it. It looks incredible. I can't wait to watch that. Nice. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff. So go take a look at the list or just wait for Disney Plus Day and say, Ooh, what's the cool stuff today? Awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, moving on. Lord of the Rings. Remember how I said the Lord of the Rings rights um, were up for grabs? Uh, this was a while back. The Lord of the Rings rights were up for grabs in terms of okay. the contract lapsed. So um, it was getting sold. Um, yes, Amazon has their hand in um, uh, the, the new show. But this, this group called Embrace... The Embracer Group has purchased the rights to The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So that those specific stories plus The Hobbit. And they are looking into, or at least starting talks about spinoff movies um, in the realm of we could do probably an Aragorn movie or a Gandalf movie or, you know, a Boromir movie or ooh, we need to do a Legolas movie. Um, that could be kind of cool. Um, I don't know how much Tolkien lore there is to dig through that you could create individual like it sounds like they want to marvelize the lord of the Rings, um, <laughs> yeah which is not necessarily a bad thing i'm just saying you know um it was, i just thought that was interesting that they'd be that they're looking at to do that so so is this embracer group are they known for anything or is this just a random uh, well that's the that thing that the parent, that's, that's what's interesting is when you have a parent company pick up rights for things um it's kind of like it's kind of like when you're like, okay, Warner Brothers, HBO is all owned by AT&T. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. You know what I mean? And then all these business deals start happening. And now, yeah. you know, so it, learning who the uh, parent companies are for these things are a piece of it. Um, yeah, good point. That being said, uh, where are we at? Um, yeah, so they're going to look to do um, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some Lord of the Rings... Uh, Spinoff films are coming. Sorry, I lost my track there because I was reading the next bit. Um, okay, let's talk about DC for a second. DC um, has canceled the Batman animated series remake show, whatever that was supposed to be. Uh, in, in the realm of cancellations and learning what's going on, um, 
they they literally they also removed 200 episodes of Sesame Street from HBO Max. Like, there's some stuff going on over there, and they're clearly trying to clean house and make do. We're going to be hearing a lot about this. I'm not going to report all of it because it's just like, okay, let's just get our handle on what they're trying to figure out. So maybe it's server space right now. Who knows? It's it's a big merger. Um, but I was kind of bummed to see that the Batman Cape Crusader, this is the Abrams uh, animated Bruce Tim thing that they were doing that is done. Yeah. So. Well, it's 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 kind of weird because I think that we're going to have just so much news about weird shifts going on at HBO and Warner Brothers. But uh, I've been hearing like things about how they're really trying to focus not on kids entertainment. I guess that might tie into the Sesame Street thing, because just because t- kids aren't the ones who are streaming stuff as much. But to me, like, I think it's cool that there is a lot of, you know, Cartoon Network shows and stuff like that that were accessible on HBO Max. And I'm kind of like, like maybe I wasn't actively watching a lot of that stuff, but I do like the idea of it being at my fingertips. And it's kind of I'm kind of at the point where I'm like, does it really hurt you that much to leave it up there for the people who want to watch it to have access to it? You know what I mean? So I'm a little I'm a little nervous. I'm going to still try to be positive, though. I'm hoping that this weird hbo shenanigans that's going on i'm hoping that there's some good things that are going to come out of this but i don't know it's too weird to even know what to think at this point well with that said um at the last time we talked there was no deal for batman the batman 2 yeah Um, exclusively this week warner brothers is all in on the batman director matt reeves and his sixth and idaho production (laughs) company He's become the first filmmaker, given an overall first look and the nice, you know, basically they're going all in right now on the Batman 2 and it's moving forward. I don't know if that's an official green light because the, mo- the movie's still in the script phase. So yeah. oh, that could change. But right now, exclusive, <laughs> we're moving forward with the Batman 2. Great. I'm in. That's all I got on that right now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So let's just hope everything moves forward with that. Um, All right. Aquaman (laughs) 2 has been delayed. Yeah, I heard about this. This is this broke, honestly, right before we hit the this kind of broke right before we hit the record button tonight. It's being pushed back to Christmas Day of 2023. Um, So I guess I know what I'm doing on Christmas. Um, The. (laughs) What's interesting is, is that this, I think, lends to the overall what's happening behind the scenes at Warner Brothers right now, where um, they don't know what's going on with the Flash yet. We don't know what's going on with the Batman 2. We don't know what's going on, like what's going on with certain projects. We know we're getting Black Adam and we know we're getting Shazam. We know we're getting Aquaman, but they're pushing it. So this uh, let's film other stuff. And, like, you know, do we need to do bonus scenes? What's going on? Uh, there's really no word other than the fact that it got delayed. So Yeah, I mean, they supposedly have this new timeline going on, so maybe yeah. it's just they're shifting stuff around. But at this point, I think a delay is something to be happy about as opposed to just canceling a film <laughs> with other announcements we've got out of Warner Brothers so far. So I'm going to say this is good news overall at this point. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, um, where is the, all right, Knives Out 2 
The Glass Onion is coming to Netflix on December 23rd, so um, it's going to get a theatrical release, but I'm looking forward to Knives Out as well. Uh, December 23rd is when it drops. So Awesome. Yeah. Um, let's see, what else? And then Community. Did you ever watch that show? A little bit. Okay, I loved yeah. Community. That is probably <laughs> one of the best comedy sitcom-type shows out there, in my opinion. It's incredibly, incredibly smart writing. Um, they, it's a show that knows what they are. They don't, they, it's a show where they believe the audience is as smart as they want to believe the audience is. So they don't talk down to the audience and they let the jokes roll. And like, if you're in the know, great. If you see the, if you see the underlying social commentary that they're doing there, that's even better because it's just smart meta television. Um, they always joke about, cause community was six seasons and they always joke. It's like the tagline with the cast is six seasons in a movie, six seasons in a movie. Six, and there's <laughs> never been a movie. It's only just been the six seasons. Um, Dan Harmon, the creator, told Newsweek the community movie is out there and being pitched as we speak. Sweet. It doesn't mean there's going to be a movie tomorrow. It means there's definitely going to be one. Awesome. awesome. Can't wait. Um, <laughs> really excited to see my friends from that show again. Um, and then the last news story is a science news story. Yes. Um, did you, do you know that there's no sound in space? I think I know where you're going with this, but yes, I do. Okay. Yes, I've heard that before. <laughs> and I've heard that before too. Um, but when you watch Star Wars, there's lots of sound in space, right? Um, and then you have someone, you have some guy who thinks he's all smart and going, that never happened. You couldn't hear those sounds in space. And then NASA this week released audio of what a black hole sounds like. Yeah. Um, astronomers were able to make the sound waves from a black hole audible due to the high gas density in the Pegasus Galaxy cluster. cluster. Um, I listened to the audio and it's kind of weird and scary and bizarre, <laughs> but it's like, hey, that's what a black hole sounds like. That's kind of cool that they were able to extrapolate the sound waves and play it back. Um, it is. I, it is, I thought it was awesome. So. Uh, a friend shared this on social media, so I listened to it as well. It's one of the most frightening sounds i've ever heard it definitely gives you an existential crisis like you definitely need need to look it up it's the type of sound that i really want a metal band to uh use as a sample like either in one of their songs or an interlude or an intro to uh their album i think it's perfect for that but it is it sounds just as scary as you would think it would but uh no super interesting story and uh yeah it's just one of those things like it sounds otherworldly and it's night nightmare fuel it's kind of exactly <laughs> nightmare what <fuel>. it, <laughs> but it's exactly what it you would think it would sound like which is right. kind of cool as well so um so yeah that is it for the news um are you ready to talk about tonight's list yeah absolutely cool <laughs> all right um well in that case it's list time so let's roll the thing man For the top five. All right, Peter. What's up? Uh, this was my list. Um, I thought this would be kind of interesting to discuss uh, fictional parents. Um, I don't really know what caused me to think about this list. Um, this was just really like, I wonder if we've ever had this conversation. And um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone ever has. <laughs> well, no. And I went back into our list and I was like, okay, we never talked fictional yeah. parents. Could be interesting. Um, 
I have a feeling we may have matched a little bit. We might yeah. not. We might have picked completely different things. There was one I was going to put on my list, and I thought to myself, no, Peter's going to put that on his list, so I'm going to put the opposite. Just, <laughs> just, okay. to, just to see. So we'll play it out and see what happens. Um, but um, I do have two honorable mentions. I don't know if you thought this was difficult to put together. I thought it was pretty easy, honestly, to put this together. So. I thought it was super difficult. Like there was a oh, couple, sure. there was a couple parents that it was just like right away, like okay, yeah, they're going on my list. But there was a lot of gaps that were really, honestly, really hard for me to fill in. Um, and I think it's just because a lot of, um, like I guess a lot of the media, like different shows and comic books, etc., that I like, there are parent, there are parental characters, but a lot of times those aren't like necessarily my favorite thing or what I focus on. And I think that's what made it difficult. But uh, with that being said, I, of course, have uh, two honorable mentions as well. <laughs> yeah, so sure. I guess I can uh, jump in my list. I can also say, and I don't know if this is the wrong approach, but the majority of my list are actually couples. Like I picked both parents as a uh, Oh, yeah, that's as a the pick, majority, so. majority of mine, too. OK, cool. So my first honorable mention, and I don't know, this one seems pretty topical, and I don't know if that's why it makes my list, but I went with uh, Gomez and Morticia Adams. Um, All right. I just had to do it. And it's one of those things when you think of parents in uh, popular culture, I just felt like they stand out so much. And they have that sort of morbid uh, monster movie aspect to them. Like they it's kind of weird because I think this these are two parents who even though so much of their humor and actions are so morbid and like even criminal in a lot of cases, there's also the aspect of them that they're like extremely romantically in love with each other. And they also kind of have everybody in their family's back. Like they're really, they have these like really supportive and really like just good family values, even though they're also like this really morbid um criminal horror <laughs> family parental figures I don't as well necessarily which i think is pretty funny i don't know if they're criminal at all so i, I say criminal <laughs> <laughs> i say criminal because like if gomez adams was gonna like lock some guy up in like an iron maiden in his basement or something that wouldn't seem that out of character even though that act itself is like totally a criminal act, but in one of the shows or the movies, it would be played off for laughs. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when it comes to like hook putting like their neighbors in torture devices or stuff like that, like that's where I'm going where like when you look at it realistically, like, oh yeah, these people de deserve to be in <laughs> prison, even though when you think about it or when you actually watch one of the movies, it's all played off for laughs. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. no, I totally hear you. That's a good call. Um, yeah. All right. Um, my next one, it, my first honorable mention is the McAllisters from Home Alone. Awesome. Um, they clearly have a lot of money and they are up for these wild, fantastical vacations, but um, they're not the best with watching the kids. <laughs> um, but but who wouldn't want to live in that house and go on vacations with them? <laughs> so... That's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why they got an honorable mention, but yeah. All right. Nice. Moving on. So um, 
This one's another couple. Uh, I actually went with Uncle Ben and Aunt May from uh, Spider-Man. Um, and really like all the iterations, like my favorites, my favorite uh, versions of these characters would probably be the 90s Spider- Spider-Man animated series, as well as the uh, Sam Raimi movies. But I just think it's kind of weird because like Aunt May, I never was like super huge on. But I think that uh, Uncle Ben, I always thought he was like a really admirable, like really cool figure to hold like as kind of a moral compass. And I think that's why this makes my list, because like I always have I like I always really love Spider-Man. And I think um, I don't know. It's just like obviously these two parents like really play a huge role when it comes into uh, the Spider-Man mythos. So I don't know if I have too much to go on. I feel like these are characters that everybody knows about and everybody for the most part likes, I think. So I don't I don't have too much to say necessarily, but that's my next pick. My frustration with these two characters, I'm not saying they're not good parental figures, but my frustration (laughs) is, is I've been catching up with my Marvel comics. The more I read the more frustrated I am that I feel like Aunt May and Uncle Ben were holding Peter Parker back in a lot of ways. Um, And it's not because they were holding him back. It's because Peter Parker was using them as a crutch a lot. It's always like, well, I got to go check on Aunt May. Like that was like, that's literally like his excuse 90% of the times to be Spider-Man. And if I was a friend who didn't know he was Spider-Man, I'd be like, dude, you need to like, your aunt could take a night off and you can come hang with us a little bit. You know, like you, you don't need to be with your aunt 24 <laughs> seven. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it's just some of it. It's just like, okay, I'm tired of hearing about aunt, aunt May. Let's like have a life. Let's actually do things like, oh, Mary Jane, sorry, I got to go help my aunt. Like, no, you don't. You got to go be Spider-Man. But just like, come on. So I like, think this this also harkens back to our uh, Secret Wars conversation from the beginning of the show, because I think it's like the way comics used to be written was they were very episodic, where each issue is kind of like, yes, it kept continuing the story, but it was also like its own self-contained story with a beginning, yeah. middle and end. And so the Aunt May excuse could be used over and over again. And it was no big deal if you were reading the comics like month to month. But when you read a string of them in a row and it's like, man, Peter Parker, stop simping for your Aunt May. Like, what's going on here? Like, I think that's actually a really funny uh, just commentary on the whole thing. Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I, I get it, but I don't at the same time. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, my next honorable mention is Anakin and Padme Skywalker. Nice. Um, here's the thing. <laughs> if it wasn't for the whole falling to the dark side thing, they might may have, they might may have made decent parents. <laughs> okay, yeah. You know, like if it, if Anakin didn't fall to the dark side and become Darth Vader and had to kill Padme and you know all that stuff, like. They probably would have been good parents. I think Padme really, like, wanted kids, and I think Anakin was just happy to, like, I think he wanted to be the dad that he never had. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. ultimately, he wanted his kids, and he loved, and you know, he loved his wife and everything. So I just, I think they would have been good parents. But it's all speculation, so. That's an interesting way to put it, but I do think that's kind of a cool, um, a cool character dynamic where it's like, oh, these characters would would have actually been great parents, but it's all, like, the circumstances they were in that caused, like, this really tragic story, and that's kind of an interesting uh, interesting way to think about these two characters that I don't know if I've ever looked at it that way, you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so uh, what's your first actual pick of the night? Yeah, so my first actual pick, I went with uh, uh, Lara and Jor-El, um, Superman's Kryptonian parents. Um, and this one, uh, I don't know, like, a ton to say. I just always thought it was kind of cool how, first of all, like, yeah, like, they saved uh, their son from, like, this apocalyptic event on their home planet, which was definitely a clutch move. <laughs> no, but that that was awesome. But I also always really liked the whole the concept around um, Jor-El, like uh, how he like uploaded his consciousness to this like Kryptonian technology that he gave to Kal-El so that uh, once he reached Earth, um, he was able to essentially communicate with this weird like memory version of his father and like learn about his home planet as well as like gain um bits of knowledge and training that he would need and i i just think it's a really cool concept and i think if you like if you do pay attention to like the way technology is moving in our real world it seems like this is something that could even happen like it's in the realm of possibilities like within our lifetime or within the next lifetime like people starting to upload their full consciousness to the cloud and stuff like that and being able to uh let their knowledge pass on to future generations and i think that's just a really interesting concept and uh yeah it's just this is one that like yeah like i'm a huge superman fan so of course i'm gonna pick this but conceptually i think there's a lot of really cool stuff going on there as well and it's also a concept that was thought of a really long time ago that is surprisingly pretty relevant now. So I think that's pretty awesome as well. Yeah. Um, the dad, the dead dad parenting from afar um, always seemed odd to me because I don't like, he wanted to learn about his past. So like, luckily his dad had uploaded his consciousness and all that stuff so they could do that. Um, I don't know how much, actual parenting that was is it so much as it was guiding is like hey you got powers and you know try your best to be good but here's how it is but here's the history for you you know what i mean like i don't yeah i don't i don't know if i 100 percent agree but that's what these conversations well so <laughs> so i didn't necessarily know that like our picks had to be like oh no i like, the best I just, parental no, I, things as don't. opposed to just our favorites you know yeah no i totally understand I, i'm not knocking the choice i just that's what went through my head as you were telling me all that so yeah i do i do i do think that uh the way that um Jarrell is personified in man of steel i do think there is you know uh russell crowe's uh Jor-El does have some sort of uh parental guidance that he gives to Kalel in that film as opposed to yeah. like I think the uh the like 78 Christopher Reeve Superman I think it's a lot more of a dry sort of like almost like an educational mem mentorship where I feel like in the the Man of Steel version I do think there is a little bit more of a emotional guidance that was needed there um and it is kind of a weird distant relationship but i just think it's more this one i picked more like conceptually i just think it's a cool very unusual dynamic that i haven't really seen in a lot of other media so i just had to make my list you know yeah i got you all right so my first actual pick of the night is chet and connie ripley um if you don't recognize those names you might know them more as uh john candy and stephanie farsi from great outdoors um <laughs> 
Look, nice. Uh, Chet, Chet is that family man kind of dad, and he just wants to take his family on a vacation and, like, up to the woods where, you know, he liked going when he was younger, and, you know, that good family vacation was running boat, let's do this thing, and, yeah, it kind of gets just derailed a little bit by Roman, played by Dan Aykroyd, but... Um, Dude, he's just a family man, dude. And he has, like, these great family values and wants the family to do stuff together. And he just, like, I ultimately, he just seems like a good dad, you know? So, yeah. um, and then she kind of, like, she's along with it. Like, she's right there with him. But it's just, I was thinking about parents, and I'm like, yeah, dude, that's, that's the family vacation I like. And that's, the movie The Great Outdoors reminds me so much of family vacations that we took when we were kids. You know, uh, doing the camping and stuff like that. It just, yeah. So, yeah. And it's yeah, a great movie. Good. I mean, come on. You know, uh, <laughs> Big Bear Chase Me. And <laughs> yeah. Um, the the water skiing sequence and then the big steak he's got to eat. And then I love the bit when he's like, the signs is don't feed the bears. But he's like, here's a Zagnut. And then he's like, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> uh, this is a good call. I didn't think of this at all while you're putting my list together, but. The Great Out- Outdoors is an interesting movie because I think I watched it quite a bit as a kid and I don't think I ever related to uh, John Candy's character. But then I watched it as an adult and it's one of those things where I totally related to him and could see that, like, yeah, he is like the best character in here and he's super endearing and stuff. And like uh, I could see the humor as well as the relatability in that character a lot more uh, when I watched it as an adult. So, yeah, yeah. good call. All right, man, what's your next call? <laughs> so, my next one, I actually went with uh, John and Martha Kent. <laughs> <laughs> Saw that Superman's coming. Earth parents. <laughs> uh, I thought that would be just way too funny to do. But uh, to be honest, like, I don't know, depending on which timeline you're reading and stuff, sometimes they kill the Kents off and sometimes they're alive. But I do think um, both of these characters' mentorship of Clark Kent is like, just huge in his upbringing and uh, his choices to use his powers for good and to become the hero that he is. Um, You know, like John is like this sort of like moral, like compass or tent pole. That's just really, really uh, drilled into Clark at a young age that he has to be, he can't take advantage of his, or can't take advantage of people with his powers. Like he really has to be that hero that he should be. And like Martha Kent, I've always, appreciated like i think in the uh in the Zack snyder movies is one of my favorite iterations of her because i think it showed her relatability and how like real she felt in those movies with helping her son but i also like some of the uh like i know in uh john burns uh man of steel run when they rebooted that back in the 80s i believe uh she was like i always liked that they had like she uh actually sewed superman's costume and stuff and that was like a cool touch and stuff like that and when it really comes down to it with the kents i feel like these are great characters but i think when a superman story is done really well and they have like a really touching moment relating to uh superman's earth parents whether it's involving them or just something relating to them like here's where i'm gonna sound like a sap but i have teared up at some of those really sentimental smallville john and martha kent moments while reading superman comics and i know that sounds super sappy but it's definitely happened before and uh, i don't know if that's just because 
you know, I grew up in a small town and I just get sentimental for that same sort of thing. But I do think there's a lot of touching moments with these characters. Um, if you're, uh, if you're willing to uh, subdue yourself to that sort of thing, I guess. So. <laughs> sure. Well, with John, with these specific, with John and Martha Kent, um, this is the Superman poll that I was expecting you to do as okay. opposed to Lara and uh, Jor-El. Yeah. Um, I, with them, these are these are really good parental figures, not only in the sense that I think multiply, mostly in the sense that they understood the responsibility of what they were raising. Yeah. And yeah. if it is not raised properly, like it's that thing where when you watch Batman versus Superman and Batman is under the circum under the impression that here's an alien that if he wanted to could burn the entire planet down. So we have to be prepared to stop him. Mm-hmm. These are two parents that understood that from the get-go. And it's the, if we don't raise him properly, he could destroy everybody. And we love this kid, and we're going to teach him properly, and we're going to try and, you know, create this, like, last living Boy Scout, if you will. You know what I mean? And it's, they, like, you want to talk about the best parents out there. These are probably two of the best examples. Um, Absolutely. Um, I moments that I love. Um, I love bits where um, he uh, Clark or Superman, however you want to word him as a character, comes home for dinner. And it's in the part and it's in the time period that um, Supergirl is staying with the Kents because he's like, you need to learn from them. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, so he'll yeah. come home and I'll have that like family dinner. And then Supergirl's sitting there because she's got to learn from he's like, no, no, no. They raised me and they raised me right you got to go and learn from them too. That's some of, that's some of my favorite moments. Or Absolutely. Like, or like when Connor Kent is there because he's Superboy and it's the same kind of thing. Those are some of my favorite Kent moments. Um, and then in terms of the Zack Snyder stuff, it really irritates me how misunderstood the Jonathan Kent death scene is in Man of Steel. Drives me nuts that people don't understand that sequence. They get so mad at like, well, I don't like he should have been saved and like he didn't let Clark save him and all that stuff. And like they don't understand it. But you have to understand that this is a guy who has told you repeatedly in that movie that if they found out that you're an alien, they found out what you're capable of. It'll destroy our family. It'll destroy your life. It'll destroy like he was all about protecting his son and was willing to die for protection of his son. And it makes that death scene so beautiful in the sense that don't save me. You have to save everyone else. And I know that. And everything I've taught you has led up to this moment. Let me be there for you. And because he knew that someday that Clark was going to have to put that costume on and go save the world. And it's such a misunderstood scene because people don't because for some reason, the general moviegoers do not understand DC Comics the way Zack Snyder does. <laughs> so, um, Absolutely. I will say I did see and I don't know if this was a TikTok trend or something, but I did see a video that was a clip of just a lot of different people watching Man of Steel. And uh, it seems like that part's actually aging a lot better than um, how a lot of audiences reacted to it when it first well, came good. out. Um, yeah, I saw I saw this. Uh, somebody put together this like 
montage of a bunch of clips of people live streaming themselves watching that movie. And there was like multiple people crying and they're like, that's so sad. Like he believes in his son so much that he's willing to sacrifice his life. And it was kind of cool because it's kind of like Zack Snyder had this. (laughs) Yeah, it's exactly like Zack Snyder had this idea that he was trying to portray and people are finally coming around to it. And like, I'll say it before and I've I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think that Zack Snyder's DC movies are going to age a lot better than people realize. Like, I think give it 10 to 20 years, but Batman <laughs> Batman v Superman is going to be recognized for the masterpiece that it is. It already we just got to wait for the general populace to catch up. You know, oh, I mean? Batman v Superman is the Blade Runner of comic book movies. And if you don't get it now, you're never going to. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, this is the one where I thought you were going to pick. So I went the opposite route, um, and this is the one where I said that I chose the opposite because I figured you were going to pick the Kents because I almost put them down. Um, Yeah. And then I was like, no, I thought about just other things to put down. So I went with Alfred Pennyworth. Um, Okay, awesome. Alfred Pennyworth is, I mean, Bruce Wayne's butler, but he is the parent that was forced to be a parent. That wasn't his intention. That wasn't his role. And he had to become a parental figure on an unfortunate, faithful, tragic night. And um, he became this parent figure to Bruce Wayne and where Bruce Wayne built this um, plan, this vision, this crusade, made this promise, made this vow that he's going to like rid the world of criminals and no one can feel that way again. As much as Alfred may disagree, what he can be for Bruce is supportive and he can be a sounding board. And he can offer his opinion. Whether Bruce listens or not, Alfred's always there to go, well, you know, I see what you're saying. But, you know, or, you know, if if you're going to do this, do it like this. Or if you're going to do this, let me help you. Or if you're going to do this, like, these are my thoughts. Like, you know, he was always he's always there. He's always that sounding board. It's a beautiful, beautiful relationship. Um, And Alfred became this, like, great dad figure of in my opinion pop culture so nice yeah Yeah. this is um this all made almost made my list for uh all the reasons you just said um i think i didn't because i was uh focused on superman you knew i was gonna be focused on batman (laughs) (laughs) it was a little bit it was a little bit of that um oddly enough like i also was like trying to um i don't know like focus more on like biological parents but honestly with my next pick that's going to totally contradict that so it was mostly just because i knew you were going to pick it (laughs) so i didn't go with this one but it's definitely a great uh great pick and i love how um it's cool to see um you have alfred alfred when uh batman or when bruce wayne is a kid and alfred has to be the father figure and then it's cool to see uh their relationship as uh you know when you have adult batman and alfred's more of a peer or um, well right but yeah if if you watch closely even in adulthood alfred is still a father figure yes and still having has like his guidance as well as like his sort of like well actually you should be doing doing this sort of thing and uh no it's great it's a great dynamic um so my next pick is actually a really similar one but uh drew you mentioned this last week but i went with uh splinter from uh the ninja turtles and um i mean this is another one like i love the ninja turtles so much i had to go with it but by the way (laughs) i don't know if i would have thought of it if you didn't mention but mention it but it's just it's too good um and i love that like 
Splinter's backstory is like he's this rat who is like the pet of this uh, this this guy who practiced ninjutsu and uh, Splinter kind of mimicked him and learned his ways and then um, escaped to the sewers until he was, you know, eventually found these uh, turtles and they all got covered in the ooze. And we all we all know and love this story, but. I just think it's cool that like Splinter kind of raised these mutant turtle characters as ninjas because that's just kind of what he knew. But it ended up being this sort of uh, moral sort of uh, framework that he could bring them up with as well as like a good way to show them how to defend themselves and how to get done what they needed to get done. And it's just a fun it's a really fun dynamic like. I know a big criticism of the Ninja Turtles is that a lot of them, like a lot of iterations, they don't look like teenagers. <laughs> they kind of almost sure. look like they're like these 40 year old bodybuilder dudes. But I do appreciate the dynamic, too, of like you have these teenage personalities and then you have Splinter, who's like this wise sort of like samurai esque sort of uh, figure who's above them and they're uh I guess their back and forth dialogue and stuff is really fun too and stuff like that. So um, I don't know if I have too much else to say. I don't know if you have any comments on this one, Drew, but this was definitely too um, fun of a pick. I had to go with it. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like kind of behind on my Ninja Turtle stuff, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so like I Splinter is not in the mindset that it used to be when I was younger, but he is, he, he, I, you, you don't expect him to like, he ended up, he trained them as ninjas, but he ended up being that father figure, if you will. Yeah. And, and they look at him as a dad, too. So I, I also like I also like the the old like how he has this old uh, this old ninja master sort of thing going where he seems like um, how do I, he, he seems like kind of old and crotchety at a lot of points. But when he has to, he can really kick it, kick some ass. Like he can really hold his own when he needs to in a battle. You know what I mean? So I always thought that was cool too. Um, well, my, uh, next one, um, is Clark and Helen Griswold. Nice. <laughs> this should have made my list. Why didn't I think of this? <laughs> That's great though. Look, um, Clark doesn't, Clark Griswold doesn't have clue one. But he is probably one of the last family men in existence in terms of like pop culture and stuff like that. He just he just wants the best for his family, whether that's taking him to Wally World or the best family Christmas or, you know, whatever the case may be. And he just was. It's so funny because he tries so hard and I feel like the world just backfires on him constantly. And he's just you know what I mean? Like so great but ultimately at the end of the day like they're good parents you know they're you know i would live in that household to be fun <laughs> so <laughs> probably get away with a lot but you know yeah this yeah. is uh this is a great pick uh it's so classic i don't even know what to say i think we've just we've talked so many so much about the uh national lampoons movies that it's hard to hard to really know what to say but i definitely think this is a great pick uh Super hilarious. I kind of wish I thought of this one, but I just think this is a good I'm pick. Overall, honestly, so. I'm kind of surprised you didn't. But <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, uh, what's your second to last pick for the night? Yeah, so my second to last pick. This was uh, one of the first things I thought of, um, and I actually went with uh, Marge and Homer Simpson. And I feel like this is one of those things where, like, 
yes, like my actual parents were the parents of my childhood. But besides that, I feel like these two characters <laughs> were the parents of my childhood. Like I've just I remember growing up and watching Simpsons so much. And, uh, you know, Marge and Homer especially were just like this constant presence in my life. And I like that they're both flawed characters in their own ways but they're also like again like they're both characters who are trying to do the best they can for their family and I think like Homer is a great example of like an extremely flawed character whether it comes to like alcohol abuse and uh, like other weird shenanigans that he gets into but you can also see that he does have a heart and a really big love for his family. And I know there's, there's moments where like you watch the show and there's moments where he's, he's strangling Bart and it's played off as a joke. And like, you're like, yeah, that's child abuse. But I think that's, it's one of those things where I think that's a comedic gag. But I think when you go to the heart of the character, like I do think that he does have a good love for his family and uh, he's doing everything he can for them. And I think that's really shown in um, I remember there was an episode where he was uh, Homer was like super depressed at his job at the uh, at the uh, nuclear power plant. And I remember um, he was like, I don't remember all the exact circumstances, but I remember he was like lacking motivation and uh one of the things that uh, really kept him going was he had this uh, sign above his desk. And like, I honestly wish I would have researched this before the episode because I feel like it, I'm butchering it. But it said, like, do it something like it was almost something disparaging above his desk. But he changed it because he used pictures of uh, Maggie, his daughter, and he covered up different letters on the sign and stuff. And he changed it from what it originally said to do it for her. And so he can look up there and see his daughter. And that's was his motivation to go through this like hellish job that he really didn't like. Um, and that was his motivation. That was his sacrifice for his family. And it's a really, it's a really beautiful moment. And I think it's touching moments like that um, within the Simpsons catalog is what always like, always like really made me feel like these characters were relatable and uh just great parents overall so i don't know i don't know if you have any thoughts or any or want to expound on this drew i feel like this is like such a shoe in pick but i don't know what your thoughts are here well i don't know what else to say that you didn't already cover because <laughs> um, you're you're so dead on on like all of it um what's i will say that the simpsons specifically early seasons were yeah very family oriented, no matter what crazy nonsense was going on, whether it be with Homer or Bart or whoever, it all came back to the family, the core family values of what held that family together. And that was each other. Um, yeah. And you see that even in the very first episode, because I think the very what the very first episode is the Christmas episode with Bart with getting a tattoo and uh, getting the dog. Right. Is that right? Mm -hmm. I believe that's the very first episode of the show. And you could see Homer's like, how do I make my kids have a good Christmas? You know, um, and it's and he's trying in every way and he's kind of down on his luck. But you can see at the end of the day, he just wants his family to have a good Christmas. And that kind of sets the tone for how they are as parents. Yes, the show does shift and you get, to, you know, the, it gets weird and crazy and wild and whatnot. But at the end of the day, there's those core family values. So. Absolutely. Um, all right. So my next one is Ned and Caitlin Stark. Um, you're going to say Ned Flanders for a second. I was like, that would have been awesome. But no, keep going. Yeah. No, good call. Um, too. Look, Westeros is a very violent and unforgiving place. However, Ned and Caitlin are, they are tight. 
parents. They are they're honest with each other. They're open. They protect their kids. They want the best for their kids. They understand the world they're living in. They understand the dangers they're living in and they will do anything. It's like when Ned's like, well, Bram's got to come with me to watch me behead this guy. And Catwin's like, no, that he's too young. And he's like, well, he's got to see it sometime. You know what I mean? It's just, that's the world we live in. He's going to have to learn this sometime. And then the same thing with Arya. Like he wants her to be the girl that she's supposed to be because that's how the society they live in is. But he recognizes the fact that that's not her. She's not a lady, quote unquote, as she said. Um, She wants the sword. So what's he do? He signs her up for sword fighting classes. You know what I mean? He gets it. He understands. He, you know, he understood each kid's role. Um, And, you know, whether it be Rob, who's taking command when he's not around or like understanding that, you know, not understanding his daughter Sansa. You know, that I thought was an interesting dynamic in those in that first season where his Sansa's like, I'm too old for toys. Why are you buying me this doll? Um, and he's like, shoot, she's a teenager. I don't know how to deal with teenagers. This is this is bullshit. <laughs> um, yeah. But ultimately, he wants the best for his family. And the same thing with Catelyn. They do anything to protect themselves. Um, and that's awesome. Um, Catelyn, not so much with John, because we understand we all understand why. But Ned yeah. did his best with John to raise his sister's kid in secret and treated him as his own. And like, that's the thing, like Ned's a good guy. So yeah. So yeah, as dangerous as Westeros can be, Ned and Caitlin Stark had to make my list. So. Yeah. I think this goes back to our um, game of Thrones conversation earlier too. Cause I think uh, game of Thrones, this, uh, the series did such a good job of showing you all these characters and, so many of them are severely flawed, but they're endearing in their own ways. And I feel like uh, Ned Stark was the he was like the one character who like he had his mild flaws, but he was like the one character you felt like you could fully get behind. And, uh, uh, you know, spoilers for season one of Game of Thrones. But when he comes to like his untimely end, like that was just such a uh, such just like a punch to the gut like that was so horrible to experience. And I think it was just like, it just shows how, like you said, he's such a good guy and um, just how like his, the way he raised his kids as well as like how uh, reliable he was as like a partner in the battlefield or like the political associations. Like it's cool that his character dies really early in the series, but they different characters continue to talk about him and his impact on things like all the way up to the end. And I think that's really interesting as well. Right. Yeah. All right, man. What's your final pick of the night? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this goes, this actually goes back to one of your honorable, honorable mentions, but I actually went with uh, Anakin Skywalker or nice. uh, if you want to go with Darth Vader. And this is another one where like you're saying, like circumstantially, like, Anakin Skywalker. I just, I just went with Anakin, but it's one of those things where circumstantially, like, he could have been, he probably could have been a good dad and family man if things played out a lot differently, but he didn't. And obviously like, I don't think that like, it's hard to say like Darth Vader is like your father of the year, but (laughs) I guess I was, like I said, I wasn't necessarily thinking of this list as like, um, who I thought were the best parents. I kind of was just thinking of the ones that I thought were my favorites. And, uh, obviously like, Darth Vader is such an iconic character and uh, like him being the father of Luke is such a it it builds for this really iconic 
cinematic moment that's going to live on forever. And it's just one of those things like, how could you not like, how could this character not make your list? You know what right. I mean? Well, so, I mean, that's that's the same thing where like, you know, a character that made my short list, but not the final was uh, Big Daddy from Kick-Ass. Like, I mean, what a dad, you know, absolutely like, girl's dad. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, we're talking just favorite parents. I mean, he'd probably be up there, right? Um, no, <laughs> I, and then what's funny is for my final pick harkens back to one of your honorable mentions, and okay. that was Gomez and Morticia Adams. Oh, so nice. that's just, that's hysterical. Because when I thought that when I thought up this list, Gomez and Morticia Adams were literally the first thing I wrote down, knowing yeah. that they were going to be like my technically my number one pick. Look, and I didn't, and I was trying to not talk heavily about them earlier when you brought it up. Yeah. I didn't expect you to, to be completely honest. Um, <laughs> but look. All the horror stuff aside, this is a couple that truly loves each other and they truly love their family. And it doesn't and like it doesn't matter what their family's into. They accept and they move on and they embrace. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, okay. So when Wednesday and Pugs are doing some horrific things and like, yeah, let's get in on this. You know, what's going on? Like, let's you know, let's do this together. But then you have Fester falls in love with the, and Adam's family values falls in love with Joan Cusack, who is such an outside of the box character for that family. But you know what? They accepted, they embraced, they welcomed her in like any family should, and they took them took her for everything she was. And then yeah, she betrayed them, but they're also like, no, she's a lot more like us than she thinks she is, and you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, but genuinely, they truly truly care for each other truly care about their family so all the horror silly stuff aside like break down take all that out and what do you have you have a story about this incredibly loving family that really sticks together tight thick thick as um thick as can be blood stickered and water kind of a situation with them absolutely and, you know here we go like you know and that's why like when i thought about it, it was like they would probably be the ideal fictional parents if you were looking for fictional parents out of everyone we talked about tonight gomez mortician and adams are probably the ideal parents <laughs> oddly enough right but no you know what i mean like isn't that weird <laughs> yeah and i i agree with everything that you're saying and uh as you're talking about this I, i'm, I'm kind of laughing to myself because i mentioned them like doing things at certain moments like in the uh, old adams family movies that would probably be considered criminal but you talking about this it's making me realize like Okay, if if Gomez like uh, locked like a normal human character into a torture device or something, he wouldn't. He never would do that out of ill will. Like he would have no right. malicious intent. It's more just like, yeah, I think this is fun. My whole family loves to be locked in our Iron Maiden, so why wouldn't you as well? And it's almost like a misunderstanding more than a malicious thing. So you're kind of making me come around on that aspect just, of it. It's just but, their yeah. hobbies. It's just it's just what they're <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like this is that's how it is at our house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, well, and I do. Don't, you guys don't do this at home. All right. <laughs> And I do like that sort of like misunderstanding and stuff like that, because they're just like culturally so different than just like your average. I don't know where Adam's family takes place, but I just imagine like your average Midwestern family like would not fit in with like the Adam's family and stuff like that. Yeah. So. But yeah, no, like, yeah, the ideal fictional parents, if you're going to have them, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, hey, that brings us to the end of this list. Um, Peter, what are we doing next week? Cause it's your pick. 
Yeah. So um, I thought we could do another year. And uh, with years, it's always a little daunting because I have to rack my brain and figure out if <laughs> we've done this year yet. But I don't I think we've done this list. one. Let me take a look. So throw it at me and I'll see. Um, we... I was thinking we could do our top five movies from 2006. And I don't think we've talked about that year. I do have a backup if we have, though. Let me just double check because they're all in episode order. So let me just do it. Yeah. Scan. <laughs> We have not done 2006. See, see, when when we only had 50 episodes, it was really easy to thumb through. But now that we're like, you know, around like 200 or wherever we're at, it's just a lot more daunting to like figure out. That's why I have the handy dandy spreadsheet that I can see. Yes, absolutely. Um, if you want to see the spreadsheet, man, I'll email it to you so you can take a look because I have every list we've done, um, the list of lists, if you will, and then everything broken down if you want to see it. Because um, I've never actually shared it with you. I've just typed along as we've done the show, but now we're 200 plus episodes in. And yeah. Yeah. I've, right. I think I've seen you typing stuff in there, but yeah, <laughs> I haven't gone into depth on those. <laughs> right. Well, um. How about this? Uh, movies from 2006 next week. So everyone, until then, do us a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with our link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can hit us up either way. Either way works, social media or email. Um, you, We are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. Um, you can also leave us a review there. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words you say feel important. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I'll be explaining how if you're cleaning Spider-Man's webs off of a brick building, you are really just taking thwips off the old blocks. <laughs> Wow. That was <laughs> hey, <amazing>. we <laughs> we did a parent list. I had to end with a dad joke. That's yeah, all I, I got. Gotcha. I got gotcha. you. All right. Um, well, hey, everybody, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.